and Kirkendall, Houston, Texas. For more information, ticket sales, and volunteer opportunities, visit kpft.org or call the membership department at 713-526-4000, extension 314. You're listening to KPFT Houston. Te sientes perdida y no llega la calma Y esos años parece que no acaban Cuidado no corras que te desgarran No hay huellas, señales, nada Como se vuelve cuando todo cambia Solo queda retarle a la gana de antes A ver si nos sacan de esta o qué pasa Y seguimos luchando por un matiz En el que merezca la pena vivir Sabiendo que no es tarea fácil ellos atacan muy fuerte y la vida está muy frágil, pero nosotras lo tenemos claro que somos porque peleamos, que somos porque nos tenemos, que somos porque nos cuidamos. This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always más. Renaissance in all its splendor. And of course, this is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. Happy to join you along with uh, Leti Lopez in the studio running the boards for us. Hello, hello, hello. Great to have you here. We're on Skeleton Crew today. And I do want to kind of explain all the events that have been going on. Of course, last week's show, we gave you a real version of Cinco de Mayo and how to celebrate it. We ran into a lot of folks as you exercised that on in, that information and acted on it. We saw folks at the Cinco de Mayo Day Parade, the Joe Campos Torres Memoriam. Also, the best way to celebrate Cinco de Mayo is at a Chicano wedding. Congratulations to Chewy and his beautiful wife, Ana Marie, who had a great wedding that mixed Chicano and Swiss influences, which is both of their backgrounds. That was such a beautiful wedding. It really was, from top to bottom, and a lot of fun as well. So we are so happy for them, glad that they are part of our lives and enrich the community so much. But then also, it was great to celebrate the launch of Blooming Jasmine, which is Essays and Poetry by Jasmine Mendez, which is powerful, Night Blooming Jasmine, powerful book. By our dear friend Jasmine Mendez. They have it over, over at Space 125. Packed house. Great reading. And the launch of a really powerful book. Great to see our friends' dreams come to fruition. And for us to play a role in that. And to keep sustaining it. So do keep a lookout 
on readings for Jasmine. We'll mention it. She's going to have a baby soon as well. (laughs) (laughs) So the muses are circling around her house too, because Lupe Mendez has a book coming out. Yeah, I would that that um, room that she's decorating. That is so cute. It, and it's it's beautiful to be involved in every step of the way of the book and the baby. Yes. And their wedding and, and all that stuff. <laughs> so it, it is joyful. On the other hand, too, we have uh, we're going to actually use the top of the show, which is typically our soapbox, to bring in information about immigration issues that are going down right now, specifically for one of our dear friends. But I want to remind folks that we as Chicana, Chicano, Latinx, Latina, Latino, I guess I should be nice and say Hispanic too, Hispanic as well. I'll, I'll go old school with, with some folks and use the Nixonian term to try, and be, <laughs> to try and be benevolent. We don't have the luxury of being only writers. And if I had more time to explain it, like the 17 years we've had on the air, or the six years we've spent fighting Arizona's ban of mixed market studies, I, I tell you all about it. But we've lived it, we've shown it to you, and we bring it up because we are going to bring you a great show today. And in a little bit, we'll be talking to an opera performer. That's so cool. Cecilia Duarte is in a current presentation at the Houston Grand Opera. Stay tuned to hear from her, as well as find out exactly how to go see it. We'll also be talking to our dear friend, poet Irene Lara Silva, a dear friend of ours. But at the top of the show, we want to talk about some some other issues as well. But I remind you, we've made commitments to these writers and performers, so we're going to get to that. But on our at the beginning of a show, typically the soapbox, we do want to focus on... Donald Trump's Operation Wetback, which is going on right now. And uh, as you know, I, I do a TV show. You're listening to the radio show, and I also post columns on my blog, The Cultural Accelerator at TonyDiaz.net. The current column is titled, We Are Living Operation Wetback. So there's links to different stories as well as the background if you don't have all the context and I'm going to have to rush through it, too, because I do want to get to our programming as we've decided to have it, because we must impose our will on the universe, and we must promote each other, our art, because only art can save us. But we cannot ignore the oppression that is going on around us, and there's several signs that this is the case, including that I've never known as many people facing this level of antagonism, oppression from immigration. And most startling, most recently, we have, we're going to play an excerpt from a Facebook post from our dear friend Karen, who is one of the founders of Mujeres Malas, an activist. She's helped so many other writers. She's getting an advanced degree in art, whose father was detained. And Trump said he was going to go after hardened criminals. Her father is a hardworking, great person. She and her family are law-abiding. They give back to the community. And it's heartbreaking to know they're going through this. So we're going to play. We've got queued up an excerpt from the Facebook post that she um, released yesterday as she was going to pick up her father from immigration, the, the, the Immigration Detention Center. Okay. Yo creo que hoy vamos a poder tener nuestros teléfonos con nosotros um, en, en la corte de inmigración. Uh, nos vio la juez Lisa Luis, uh, es una chicana que es conocida por dar um, sentencias um, pues fuertes y bonds muy, fianzas muy altas. Entonces ese día, el jueves, le dieron, creo que solo le dieron bond a dos personas. I think only um, two people received bonds um, that Thursday. Uh, she only gave two people bonds. Lisa Luis, she's a Chicana uh, judge um, that is known for giving really harsh um, sentences. And um, 
very high bonds. And so when it comes to this like immigration bond industry, uh, the judges are the ones that get to decide how much the bonds are. And so they get to like exploit the system pretty much and do incredibly high bonds. I think the minimum is $1,500, but people are getting, I mean, my dad's was 9,000 and I think the other bond that was given that day was 13,000. So, and this is just completely arbitrary. I mean, the judges get to decide um, how much they're gonna let people out for, um, what the price is, right? Um, so, I mean, as always, I think we should stick together. Um, I'm really thankful for all your help and support. Um, yeah, so I just can't wait and, to get my dad. And let's put this into context. Again, you can go to my post at um, TonyDiaz.net under the Cultural Accelerator. It's titled Trump's Operation Wetback. You can actually watch her video there. We'll also post it on the Nuestra Palabra Facebook page in Libre Traficante. She mentioned the $9,000 bond for her father. She mentioned the $13,000 one. But I also want to put this in context because recently Trump's White House has declared that they're going to make it a point to separate families as they enter the country. And of course, to debunk this whole myth that only hardened criminals are going to be the victims of Trump's deportation machine, I want to remind you that the president who calls himself the law and order president used his power as president, wasted his power as president to pardon convicted racist former sheriff Joe Arpaio from Arizona. And as you know, the courts proved that he had been profiling Latinos. So this is the context. Under this Operation Wetback that Trump has unleashed upon us, the convicted racists are free. Joe Arpaio is a candidate for senator in Arizona. He might be elected representative. That's who's representing or could be representing the Republicans. And on the flip side, family members are being torn apart. Law-abiding family members are being punished. That's what's going on right now. Now, Trump doesn't have to use the term wetback because he's already called Mexicans racist. He's called the countries of El Salvador and Haiti uh, as whole countries. And he has already vilified immigrants as dangerous individuals. So he's done even more than that stereotype. That's what's fueling all this antagonism and racism. And it's just getting worse and worse. I got more evidence for you there at the blog that I mentioned. Also, Karen sent me another link to Radio Ambulante with Daniel Chacon. They did a great story on how Amnesty is being granted arbitrarily. We think that it's based on the nature of the case, based on a study of how these were granted. It turns out to be, depend, it depends on the judge. It's arbitrary. So that the whole system, not only broken, but without hard concrete rules to follow, it's left to people's own discriminatory intentions. And it's totally unfair. So I want to keep you posted on that because I will close with this. If you ever wondered how that happened, this is what's happening. If you under, ever wondered what you would do, we're about to find out what you're going to do because it is here. We'll keep you posted. Of course, we will continue with our mission of promoting Latino, Latinx, Chicana, Chicana art. And we are winning. Perhaps that's why there's all this pushback against us. Because I am very proud that there's going to be a production in Spanish, in Lindo Español at the Houston Grand Opera. It's called Cruzar la Cara de la Luna. There's two performances left. 
Thursday, May 17th at 7.30 p.m. and Saturday 19th at 7.30 p.m. We have one of the stars from the performance about to join us. So I had to take you to that dark place because some of our brothers and sisters are living it right now. You get no pass around. You're on our side or you're on the wrong side of history. If you sleep late, if you ignore this, someone's family will be torn apart. One member of our community who we need right now could be lost. Please stay tuned, stay engaged, and do remember only art can save us. Hey, this is Tony Diaz, the Libre Traficante. Me and Letty are holding it down right here. We're at 100,000 watts on KPFT 90.1 FM. We're going to take a musical break, and we'll be back with the beautiful voice, Cecilia Duarte, starring in the Houston Grand Opera's performance of Cruzar la Cara de la Luna. We'll be right back. are back. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers having their say on the air. I want to thank Leti for some dope sounds. It is the soundtrack to a revolution. And you expect nothing less from Nuestra Palabra. Latino writers having their say on the air. We're going to keep you in the music because we're about to talk to La Voz de Renata. She's a mezzo-soprano. She is starring in Cruzar la Cara de la Luna at the Houston Grand Opera. Cecilia Duarte is joining us in the studio. Bienvenue. Thank you so much for coming out. Of course, it's my pleasure. And I want to first brag about you a little bit because you've <laughs> been the original Renata ever since Cruzar la Cara de la Luna premiered at the Houston Grand Opera back in 2010. That's right. It was revived in 2013. And you have toured all over the place, including Paris, Lyric Opera of Chicago, San Diego Opera, Arizona Opera. I hope, I'll bet you Joe Arpaio did not go to that. Or did, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, Fort Worth Opera, and most recently, the New York City Opera. Yes. You've been active in the circle of contemporary music, giving life to new roles such as Gracie and Away Home, uh, Jesse in A Coffin in Egypt. You were first responder Harriet and After the Storm yes. will premiere in uh, HEO in 2016. Mm-hmm. Alicia in Some Light Emerges, the world premiere in 2017, as well as Chamber Pieces. You've been heard most recently in the CD recording of Daniel Catan's songs Encantamiento. That's right. Wow. <laughs> An early music enthusiast. You sing often with the R's Lyrica Houston, Mercury Houston, The Box Society. Houston, the Festival Ensemble in Stuttgart, Stuttgart, Germany. My my German's bad, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> Originalmente, la música borraca de San Miguel de Allende. I was just there recently. Qué lindo, San Miguel de Allende, México. Precioso. 
and other roles, including roles from Don Giovanni, The Inspector, The Crucible, The Cold Sassy Tree. Yes. You're an active jazz singer, originally the Mexico. Thank you for coming. Of course. I'm so happy to be here. No, it's exciting. And let me tell folks, look, first, let's get down to the business of when people can go see this. So am I correct? Are there are there's just two performances left? Three. There's we three. have three, yes. Okay. So I saw uh, May, th- so May, Thursday, 17th, 7.30 p.m., yes. May, Saturday, 19th, 7.30 p.m. Yes. And also we have uh, May 20th at 2 p.m. There it That's is. That's a matinee. Yes. Perfect. The matinee. So those are the, the three performances. Yes. Perfect. And then, so you're originally from uh, Mexico and you've been here how long in Tejas? Uh, 15 years already. Almost 15 years. Great. And what, so what got you into opera? Uh, you know, I come from a Mexican, uh, from a, a Mexican, of course, Mexican family, but a musical family. And so I grew up singing, you know, my, my grew up singing, uh, and listening to my mom singing boleros. And, um, my dad was in the seminary before he met my mom. And so I grew up also listening to sacred music, uh, what we call oratorio. So like, you know, like Handel's Messiah in Christmas and, you know, pieces of classical music. And it. so I, you know, I grew up like listening to all these different, uh, music styles and at some point I decided that you know I wanted to make music part of my life you know uh, seriously and professionally and so I pursued a career in music and I you know I've been studying for a long time quite a long time I moved here because I started uh, studying privately with a voice teacher and so, after, so did you come specifically to Houston for that? Or yes, you were, that's fantastic. Yeah, pretty much. Like I have been singing for a while. I moved to Guadalajara when uh, when I finished high school in Chihuahua. I'm from Chihuahua, and so I moved to Guadalajara and I sing there and I work there for about eight years. Um, and then after that, I moved here to Houston, and pretty much uh, right, you know, as I got here, I um, auditioned for the Houston Grand Opera Chorus. And I sang with them for several years. I did a lot of outreach. Um, I did a lot of opera for kids. And, and, you know, thanks to Houston Grand Opera, I have been able to work with the communities in town, which is a pretty awesome thing that they do. It's beautiful. Uh, that not everybody knows. You know, people think that opera is this thing that is just like in this fancy theater and people need to dress up and go and know a lot about opera. And no, you know, opera is pretty accessible. And so part of my job with them is to bring opera to children and to people of all communities, you know, of all the um, different parts in Houston. Now, let's let's get some straight. It is high art, but it's for everyone. Exactly. What I, what I love to think about it is that we are all entitled to that, those beautiful chakra-breaking artistic moments. Exactly. It's all about drama and passion and love. You know, there, there's nothing in opera that we cannot relate to. I love it. Now, of course, we started the show talking about immigration. Tell us a little about how that ties into this particular performance. Well, this opera, it's pretty much about immigration. It tells the story of a man back in 1960s that came to Houston through the Bracero program. And so, you know, back then they would come and work in the crops for about six months or so. And then they would go back to Mexico. And so he does that. But, you know, at some point they find out that there's like something else to do up in Chicago or up there. And so he ended up like barely going back to Mexico. You know, he wanted, of course, to provide a a better life for his family. And I played the role of um, his wife who is Renata, and so we have a kid, and, you know, at some point I feel, uh, you know, pretty lonely because what I want is to have my family together. And so I think, you know, just by telling the story, it's something that we all go through. It doesn't matter which way, you know, or what way or in what circumstances, but, you know, we as immigrants have suffered that. You know, for me, Mm -hmm. all my family is in Mexico. I'm married to a Spanish guy and all his family is in Spain. And we live with our hearts, you know, partnering too. Yes. (laughs) You know, and now we have a daughter and she is from here. But, you know, like her reality. She's Tejana. She's a Tejanita, yeah. I know. I was blown away when I had Tejano kids. I'm like, whoa. I know, right? It's like their reality will be, you know, very different from ours. You know that probably. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my God. Another opera singer. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) 
But isn't it beautiful? That's beautiful. Oh, I love it. I love it. You know, I think it's great. And so for me, like representing this uh, character in particular in this opera, as I said, this opera talks about immigration. And most importantly, I think it talks about the human side of immigration. When we uh, see immigration, it's all about in the news. And it's always in a, you know, dark, hard, cold way uh, where we talk about, you know, and we see like very ugly things or, you know, um, you know, ways of thinking of people about saying, you know, immigration. Or a wall. Yeah. (laughs) Or a wall, you know, just dividing, dividing all the time. And so it's either black or is white and things should be only one way. Uh, But it's not like that. There are humans. There are humans involved in all of this. We all are, you know, we all leave something behind. Uh, Families are being broken apart. And so it's it's not just about making something happen, especially when it's a phenomenon that has been going on for so many years. It's not a thing mm-hmm. that just started, you know, and mm-hmm. and both parts are to uh, blame and and not to blame, right. you know, at the same time. So this opera, I think, represents everything that has been going on. And to me, it's like really, really beautiful because for the first time we have a story that represents uh, and tells the story of so many that are not being heard. And right? Especially, I love too that it is told at the, it, it is engendered by Houston Grand Opera, which yes. is the epitome of high art. But like you're saying, is making inroads into our community. And uh, you 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 mentioned you might sing a snippet in a little bit. Uh, sure. Yes, that's so great. <laughs> and, and, and what I love too is that. One, only art can save us. So people can go, I don't care what political party, persuasion, just go, enjoy it, love it. On top of it, you'll wind up getting an associate's degree in Mexican American studies. No, just kidding. (laughs) But, but I mean, okay, it's it's beautiful too because, you know, the the Holocaust Museum had a powerful exhibit on the Bracero program. Mm. Uh, you know, uh, Raina Gold, uh, Victor Vesignano's book was about the, uh, published here in Houston, Artificial Press, talked about the Bracero program. And, And on top of it, I also love then that, it's English, Spanish, Spanglish, a little bit of all that in the. It is. It's really. I think it's um, very authentic in the way that it's told this story. I mean, the, the, first of all, I mean, uh, we should mention, you know, a big thing about this is the first mariachi opera ever written. That's so and cool. And so we don't have an orchestra in the pit. We have a mariachi band Eso. on stage, uh, which is uh, Mariachi Los Camperos from LA. They have two Grammys already. They're like superstars and we're so excited to have them. We sang with them this uh, a few months ago in New York and they're just amazing. They're just that like the so best cool. people ever. Uh, but yes, also besides that, it, the story, you know, as I said, it tells the story about this Mexican man that comes to the United States, leaves a family behind. So we have uh, characters that are Mexican and we have characters that are American because he mm. ended up living in the United States and making a new life. And so he remarried an American woman and has an American family. And so everybody is very... Um, um, authentic, you know, and very close to the reality. So, you know, my character is Mexican, so I only sing and speak in Spanish, mm. you know. And so those, uh, like, there's an American granddaughter, and she speaks English, but she knows some Spanish, and so she, you know, speaks it with a little bit of accent. So it's it's all very but, authentic. But, but I love how it ties into the text experience. However, however... I don't want anyone complaining to me that they think it might just be in Spanish because La Traviata is not in English. Uh, Carmen's <laughs> not in English. And y'all weren't complaining then. All right? Exactly. So it's very nice of Houston Great Opera to bring in both. But they don't have to do that. <laughs> and we have subtitles also. Like every time someone speaks in That's Spanish, true. you have subtitles in English and vice versa. So it's really awesome because there's no way you cannot understand the so story. Cool. Great. And then now you'll be kind enough to sing a little bit for us. I can sing some of you if everybody else uh, listening to us right now promise me that they will be there and then they will tell me at the end of the show that they listen to the show. I love it. You'll have to, <laughs> <laughs> you'll have to give you a high five and go up to you afterwards. Awesome. Estoy en el olor del café En la sonrisa de un desconocido En la silla en que te sientas, en los lentes que adornan tu nariz, en los libros que lees, en el alma perdida sin razón. 
en el sonido de lluvia sin cesar, en el niño que llora de dolor. Yo estoy ahí. That is beautiful. Thank that you. really is beautiful. Thank And you. there's actually angels that descend while you're doing that, which is very impressive. <laughs> también. No, thank, thank you so much. I, I want you also to know that um, I'm on the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Committee, and we just started oh, wow. an arts subcommittee. Mm -hmm. So I'd love to stay in touch with you and of the course. Houston Grand Opera to promote the outreach that you're doing and the next production that they do. And and the other thing, too, I, I do love it that, I mean, I have been to opera. I, I mean, first time I went, I was intimidated. Yeah. But yeah. once you go, it really is a mind-boggling beautiful artistic it is you know and in the case of this opera this opera is for us mm -hmm. so there's no reason um we shouldn't be there supporting it so it happens more exactly you know? well fantastic and then uh, of course i'm following i'm following the history grand opera on twitter so it's hugh grand opera so capital h-o-u capital g-r-a-n-d O-P-E-R-A. And as you mentioned, there are three shows. It's going to be, uh, actually, Sunday is Mother's Day. No, wait, that's next week. Sorry. Yes. Not this week. <laughs> Sorry, this, I was just buying some stuff. So Thursday, May 17th at 7.30. Saturday, May 19th at 7.30. And then Sunday, May 20th at 2 p.m. Continued okay. success. And please keep us posted on everything that you're doing. Thank you so much. I'm so happy that uh, that I was here conversing. No, uh, by all means. Platicando. No, contigo. claro, charlando un poco y dis, <laughs> di, di, disfrutando de, de, de este momento para nuestra cultura, porque yo creo que es tan importante que alguien llegue al nivel que, que has llegado para compartir eso con nuestra comunidad. Gracias, sí, lo considero una, una suerte, una bendición, pero también una labor importante que tengo que hacer. Así claro, que... y qué lindo poder eso con, un, con la vida de uno. Claro, so. claro que sí. Great. Thank you so much, Cecilia. <laughs> of course, Can't thank you. Can't wait to see you at the opera. See you there. Hey, this is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante. We're going to take a musical break, and then we'll come back with a poet, Irene Silva. You're listening to Nuestra Palabra, Latino Writers Heaven to Say on the Air.
are back. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say on the air. That was our opera moment with Cecilia Duarte. It's going to be a fun event. If you, if I see you over there, give me a high five, okay? Because I want to say, yeah, we were hanging out at the opera. And I've been to, I've been to many, actually, and I really enjoyed it. I'd love to hang out at the opera with you as well. But, of course, we're also about poetry, and as we celebrate 20 years of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say as a live event and 17 years as a radio event. It's great to say hi to our dear friend, Irene Lara Silva. I think you're on the line. Are you there? Well, we're going to get her on the line any second. But in the meantime, I'm going to tell you more about her. Now, right there, I hear the little hum of electricity. That means someone else is on the line. Irene, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Un abrazo grande. Como estas? Hello, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It really good is wonderful to, to to say hi, give you an audio hug, and <laughs> talk about your new work. Of course, we all know that you're the author of Furia, a wonderful collection of poetry from our friends at Malfield Press back in 2010. You're also the author of Blood Sugar Canto from Saddle Road, Saddle Road Press. They were both finalists for the International Latino Book Award, as well as Flesh to the Bone, short stories from Aunt Loot Books 2013. Powerful, powerful collection. And of course, Aunt Loot Books, home of the other Meramena, Gloria Anzaldúa's work, Tambien. And that won the 2013 Premio Atzlain Award. You and poet Dan Vera, our dear friend Dan, are co-editors of Imaniman, Poets Writing in the Anzaldua Borderlands from Aunt Lu Books, collection of poetry and essays. You're a recipient of the 2017 Nalak Arts Grant, the 2014 Alfredo Cisneros del Moral Award from our dear friend and icon and hero, Sandra Cisneros, a fiction finalist for Aroha's 2013 Gift of Freedom Award and the 2008 recipient of the Gloria Anzaldua Milagro Award. Also... Part of Macondo Workshop and Canto Mundo inaugural fellow. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for inviting me. No, by all means, and you know, I think we should make it a rule to to check in with you just regularly <laughs> to <laughs> to talk about what's what's going on. So, uh, so tell us about your your new work. I'm writing it. I'm writing a lot of new work right now, which feels wonderful. Um, Supposedly, I'm supposed to be focusing this year on just uh, my first novel. Uh, but apparently, I lost my mind, and so I'm working on the first novel, the second novel, another collection of short stories, and another collection of poetry, all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> at the same, so you you just were pulled by different muses at the same time. Pretty much, everything's just all crazy. I have notes up on my hallway. I have notes around my bed on the wall carrying notes around. I have, like, manuscripts just thrown around everywhere because just everything wants to talk to me right now. So. I love but it. But it's, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing. So I'm completely happy, and I'll do whatever it tells me to do. So Now, in a little <laughs> bit, we're going to ask you to read some, some pieces. Are you going to read poetry or some of the upcoming prose? I, I think I'm going to read just some of the new poetry. I think that's what I feel most confident about sharing right now. Got it. So I'll, I'll give them very, very new. Got it. Now... And do you feel like that though? Because now, unfortunately, I'm a mere I'm a mere human immortal. So I think of you as a poet, <laughs> but I have to wrap my head around: Does you also being a prose writer? Because you are so gifted. You've written grants. It, it makes sense, obviously. But have you been reading any of the prose in public yet? Uh, the new prose. Hmm, actually, I accidentally did last uh, <laughs> <laughs> last month. I was in uh, in Oklahoma um, at the invitation of uh, Dr. Kimberly Weezer. And I had sent her part of, um, I've been wanting to write a short story about Malinche forever. Mm. And I finally figured out the story, and I finally figured out the end and the middle and a part of the beginning. So I finished it. I finished the rough draft of it um, in February. And uh, and she just told me, please, please read from the new story. So I got to hear some of what it sounded like. Um, wow. And, uh, and I'm, just, I'm so happy with the story because, I mean, for probably 15, 20 years I wanted to write that story. But I couldn't figure out, you know, how Malinche would sound, or even what I thought, what I really thought about Malinche. Mm. Um, and so it wasn't until I added a third character, um, that's a um, an actual extraterrestrial alien, 
because then I was able to figure <laughs> out the story. <laughs> So not, it's, not, it's a bit of a wild ride, but it's uh, but I'm I'm happy with it. I love it. Um, yeah, it's not quite ready for reading in public yet, other than than tiny bits to kind of figure it out. Now, of course, our listeners are either they know they know all about that, or they're listening live and can't look it up, or our actual digital archives are kept at the University of Houston, so people may be listening to this years from now. And mm-hmm. after they've Googled what it is. And then, of course, any hard copies or transcripts go to the the Houston Public Library Hispanic Archives. But do me a favor. Tell folks a little bit about the story of La Malincha as you see it. And then I'm really intrigued by two things. Mm-hmm. One, which questions were you trying to wrap your imagination around to write the piece? And then, and then also, so people can get a sense of how important these readings are. What questions were answered for you about the piece, the format, and the approach by, by from the reading? Um, let me see. So Malinche is the she was a native woman who was given to Cortez, um, you know, as a slave when he came to the to the Americas to uh, to Mexico, or what is now Mexico. And she became an important figure because she was his translator, um, became his lover, had one of his children, um, and had sort of a certain place in it. Well, I think she's seen differently by different national imaginations. So there's the way she's seen by the U.S., the way she's seen by Mexico, especially as um, popularized by Octavio Paz. And then there are the Chicana and Chicano retellings of the story and kind of the complicating you know what her role was, or who she was, her what agency she had, what what agency she didn't have in the situation, um, and so I think the questions that I had when it came to the story was to figure out what you know did I have to figure out even what her position was, how did she feel about basically in helping Cortez when he was the one that was um, you know devastating uh, along with other Spanish when we saw that as devastating native populations. Uh, in the Americas, and um, you know what? What did that mean? What does that mean when you see someone, this Malinche in this case, um, not just as this sort of historical figure, but as a real person, as a real woman who had to consider uh, survival, um, trapped in this you know, historical in a, moment exactly. that was exactly. coming one way or the other, and violent to no end. Exactly. Like, like that—that that, that is one thing too that. I, I know, there, like you say, there's so many sides to it. Mm-hmm. But let's get something straight. The conquistadores were very violent people. Mm-hmm. Violence would be engendered upon this community one way or the other, right? So, so here you have a person that's taught, taught in the middle of it. That's powerful. So it's caught in the middle of it, and they get, and also I think what's fascinating to to me as a writer, you know, specifically, is the fact that you know language was her power in this. Her ability to translate from Mayan to Nahuatl, and then after a while to Spanish, you know, that was what gave her position, what gave her power, what gave her um, the ability to act on events, limited ability to act on events, but still an ability. Right. Um, and so, you know, some people see her as a traitor. Some people see her as the mother of, you know, the mixed uh, mestizo race. Some people see her as, um, you know, just completely, just, it's, it's so wildly different. And so that was was difficult, you know, getting into that story. Mm. Um, and then for me to read it out loud, the first thing that reading anything, um, and I love reading things that are in progress out loud, um, the first thing that happens is, is that I get a feel for, am I writing this in the right voice? Mm. You know, does this feel consistent? And I think if I feel a pull while I'm reading, I hope that the reader is also feeling, will also feel that pull when they're reading, you know, that narrative pull, that character, that pull of character, that pull of emotion, that pull of energy, um, you know, the, the, the feeling of of a story um, or a character having, uh, you know, there being high stakes, there being something at risk. Um, and that's the first thing I think that you feel um, reading something that's, you know, a work in progress. Um, and then afterwards... You know, when a, when a story feels more final or when it's published, it's I think it it, it pushes it it uh, it goes over more to the feeling of 
talking and communicating, exchanging energy with the audience. You know, is the audience feeling this? How does this audience feel a story as opposed to another audience? You know, what what came through that I wanted to communicate? Mm. Um, and so that that's the, the loveliness of uh, the differences between when something is in progress and afterward when it's already, you know, been published. It's already existed in book form for several years. Um, I still really love reading the stories from Flesh to Bone. And, in fact, I'm planning to read one next week in San Antonio. Um because I, I still feel like I, I said in those stories what I most wanted to say. Well, and I tell you what, I can see why you're spread across four different books. Because just just Malinche alone, right there, to mm. grapple with that, that that sounds like it, it does take a lot of space to to get to that. And where will you yeah. be reading next week? Oh, I will be in San Antonio for the El Mundo Surdo. A conference, the one, the conference that celebrates Juan uh, Saldua's um, legacy, actually. Um, so it's happening. What is it? The 17th, 18th, and 19th in San Antonio, um, at Trinity University. And so they're doing a Noche de Cultura at the Esperanza Peace and Justice Center. Uh, so I'll be there along with uh, several other um, poets, musicians, and writers. And of course, I mean, we all love Gloria Saldua, of course, mm-hmm. and of course, uh, her work was among the. The, the texts that were part of the curriculum, the Mexican American Studies curriculum, prohibited mm-hmm. in in Arizona. Uh, of course, she's from the Rio Grande Valley. Um, tell us about what she means to you, and what's it like to be published by her publisher? Yeah, a little bit insane because <laughs> <laughs> I, I was trying to tell somebody like I I tried to get Flesh to Bone published for nine years. I sent it everywhere, and and I want to and say I, one thing, and you know. I feel blessed to know you during your journey because you've always been, uh, uh, you know, you've been always been real with your community, uh, strong Chicana voice, but always writing. But you do so much. You give so much to our community. So in that course of those nine years, you were not selfish with your time or energy. So you were helping us as you were sending those those manuscripts out. So I want to thank you for that. Thank you. Especially, you know, that's meaningful coming from you who, you know, you've also been doing so much work for so long. I think I'm, uh, because I, maybe because I'm writing enough for books, um, maybe because of a lot of life and death stuff that happened last year, I'm, I'm at a point right now where I'm kind of taking a little bit of a backseat, um, to focus more on the writing because I've got to get these four books out. Do. Um, we need you, know, you to. I'm sorry? We need you to. <laughs> But, you know, but it's been wonderful, I mean, doing the community work, um, you know, be, be between uh, Acondo, being a part of Cantamundo. Uh, my brother and I put together Flor de Nopal for about five years. Um, and then just doing different events and, and, you know, being there to to create community with other writers has been amazing. I love it. Um, and, and, of course, with no promise of ever getting published, but then mm-hmm. what happened? Oh, so I was telling you, so nine years of sending it out and sending it out and sending it out to... Uh, Latino presses, sending it out to university presses, independent presses, everything. And then I think one day, just out of sheer, you know, desperation, I was like, well, you know, I've always loved them. I pretty <laughs> much had read everything they'd ever published. I just, I didn't have the, the, I don't know, just it seemed just intimidating to send them something. But I thought, you know, it's time. It's time to send them this. Um, and I actually ended up meeting Joan Pink Voss at uh, Mundo Surdo in 2010. Damn. And told her, you know, please, please, I want to send you a manuscript. And it took, you know, three more years, but they ended up publishing it, and that's been amazing. Um, and then actually, it was I was at another Mundo Surdo uh, when I had pulled together a panel of poets. Um, it was uh, Tim Hernandez and Lorian Guerrero and Dan Vera and Emmy Perez, and I, um, and we we did essay. We were all poets writing essays about Antaldu and about her influence on us, and particularly answering the question about, you know, what did we think of. Um, the border as a as a womb, you know, the la frontera es una herida abierta. You know, how did that how did that still work, you know, for us all these many years later? Um, and it was from that panel that's actually what uh, got Joan Pinsas to to ask me and say, you know, do you want to do um, uh, an anthology about about this? You know, let's, let's gather a bunch of voices talking about <laughs> I love it. And I you know, eighteen it. months later, there was a book. <laughs> So and and that's, was, so <laughs> that's so beautiful. That's so beautiful. I mean, this is a Chicana renaissance when 
a down Chicana can work hard and wind up getting publishing by the same publishing house as as one of our icons. So so very well deserved. I could talk to you for hours. We only have about eight minutes left. Can you share some mm-hmm. some words with us? Yes, let me do that. So part of what's happening also, I think, with writing these four books at the same time is that it's making me have to distinguish between them. You know, you can't do a lot of overlap because they've got to be, you know, they've got to be distinct from each other. Um, but there are some themes that are kind of overlapping. Um, a lot of the short stories have to do not only with the creation of art, but they have to do with the conquest and what it means to still be dealing with the ramifications of the conquest 500 years later and what does that mean for artists. Um, that kind of seeps a little bit into the the poetry collection, which I think just found its name last night. Um, and if I'm pronouncing it correctly, the, the name of the new poetry collection is going to be Kuikakali. Um, so wait, we're the first radio show to announce the name? Yes, nobody, yes. Uh, very few people even have even heard of yes. this. Yes, we got a um, scoop. So that's going to be the name of the new poetry collection, which is Nawat for House of Song. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, as I was saying, so one of the themes that kind of overlaps between the short stories and the poetry is, are the you know is the theme of of, um, of loss and recovered indigeneity, especially as it pertains to you know Chicano Latinx peoples. Um, you know, what does it mean for us? You know, some of us do know what our what our ancestry is, what nations we are descended from, and many, many of us have absolutely no idea at all. Um, but so that's a bit of, of this book. And so that's, uh, I think the two poems that I'm going to read from that today um, have to do with that theme. So the first poem is, uh, It seems to me the stars are endearing. Here where I stand, the ancestors stood, the same wind, the same night sky, the same trees, the same sweet scent of grass. I touch my face, and the hand touching my face is a hundred hands deep. We are like lost children who do not know our birth names, do not know our birth mothers, as if we had been taken, as if we had been abandoned, as if we had been raised in a world without mirrors. The world confuses history with truth, victims with survivors, lines on a map for reality. The headlines proclaim us foreign, dangerous and dark-skinned hordes invading what has never existed. This is my earth, not theirs. It has always been my earth. Taste it and my blood and your tongue will confuse the two, the one. This sky and my spirit also one, the same ardent shade of blue. And this is my face, my face as it has been for a thousand years, all my mother's faces. I walk the same steps, listening to a half-song, dreaming a half-song. My voice fashions a half-song. But my hands are not half-hands. My heart is not a half-heart. My blood is not half-blood. My soul is not half-soul. If I stand, they stand. If I live, they live. If I breathe, they breathe. If I speak, they speak through me. If I heal, they heal through me. I am never alone. I am never only one. I am the embodiment of a thousand years' desire to survive, to live, to be free. Here where I stand, the ancestors stood. The same wind, the same night sky, the same trees, the same sweet scent of grass. I touch my face, and the hand touching my face is a hundred hands deep. It seems to me the stars are endearing. That is beautiful. We are with our dear friend Irene Lara Silva reading from her poems, and we're looking forward to your next collection. Thank you for sharing the name for the first time on the air. Thank you. It means a lot. I wish you continued success. Please do stay in touch with us. And is there a website, or what's the best way for people to, to keep track of what you're working on? And website and Facebook. Uh, so website is uh, irenelarasilva.wordpress.com. And Facebook, just look up Irene Lara Silva, and I should be the only Irene with an apostrophe. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. And we will uh, repost and retweet that. Thank you so much for calling in, and we really wish you continued success. Thank you. Cuídate mucho. Un abrazo grande. Igual. Bye, Tony. Bye.
And you're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say. Of course, we are live every Tuesday, 6 p.m. to 7 p.m. This show is archived on the KPFT web server for two weeks. It's also saved forever at the University of Houston Digital Archives. And a select few shows mostly when we have the time or energy and the space, are saved at the Nuestra Palabra website, nuestrapalabra.org. And I'll tweet a few from my tweet, uh, our Twitter handle at MP Airwaves. And, of course, our archives from our 20 years of work are kept at the Houston Public Library Hispanic Archives. So you can go study what we do. But it is a blessing to join you. This is Tony Diaz. I hope you will join me Sundays, Mondays, and Tuesdays, Sundays, I'm on What's Your Point at Fox 26 Houston, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. when I'm live arguing politics, making Republicans cry. Mondays, I post a new column on my blog, The Cultural Accelerator at 20 dsnet And Tuesdays, you know Tuesdays, because we've been doing this for 17 years. I want to thank Letty for putting a great show together. Hey, it was just me and you. It was the skeleton crew. I know. I know. It was... Um... It was fun. It's always fun. <laughs> but you know what, too? I, I I mean, thank you so much for being part of the team with you, Marlene, Lupe. And then, of course, you know, we even consult with other folks from, from the crew. But uh, we, we're the ones that have been doing a little more of the legwork recently. It's been really nice because we've been able to plan ahead, promote. You've been doing a great job of getting us the rundowns and putting up those great promos that we post. So thank you so much for all that. Yeah, no problem. Marlene actually is the is the girl for the rundowns. I do the promos, but she is the rundown. <laughs> and she's not here, but anytime I'm not on the show for any reason, I'm listening either at the time <laughs> or, or, or playing it back. So Marlene, thank you so much for everything that you do, helping out with the show. Really have a great team now. And we're standing on the shoulders of a legacy of a lot of great team members. Uh, Chewy, who used to run the board, he's married now, so that means we have two new volunteers. Uh, <laughs> he's going to get his wife in here. Got to see Brian and Liana, of course, who were one of the earlier crews for the radio show, as well as Nuestra Palabra. And, of course, Lupe Mendez will be back next week. And I'm sure we'll have Jasmine in here as well. So many others to thank, but it's really been a lot of fun these 20 years. We got some great stuff in store for you coming up. I kind of let one bit of information out of the bag. We are actually going to be creating, as part of the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board, an arts committee. I am proud to be the co-chair of that. We're going to be taking everything to the next level. We'll be working with the Alley Theater on that. I'm also happy to announce that I am on the Latino Advisory Board for the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. So get ready for the next two decades. If you liked what we've done up to now... We're about to take it up a thousand notches. Hey, this is Tony Esli with Taficante. And Lefi Lopez. Lefi. Talk to you next week. Ciao. Listen online to either of KPFT's two live channels on your phone. Install the TuneIn app, available for both Apple and Android, and then search for KPFT. You'll see both the FM channel and the newly improved HD3 channel. Press play and you're listening, or point your browser to kpft.org. Listening online means no more reception issues. Tune in our mix of local social justice shows and music selected with love by our Houston DJs, all there on your phone at any time. of you have heeded the call, but there's always room for more. You can find KPFT on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. From our latest updates to funny videos, contests, news, and more, you can find us anytime, day or night. We're at KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. We'd love to give you the latest. Plus, you're already on Facebook. Why not get behind the scenes of Houston's leader for independent music, arts, ideas, and culture right now? Again, find us at KPFT Houston on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. See you there. Bing, bing.